boom! Oh, oh, it's World War II again! <laughs> oh no, look out! Help me! Oh! It's Halloween, everyone. It's October 31st. <laughs> Shane and I are here it's recording October 31st. Right <laughs> Did you forget? Ah! Ah! Ugh. That's the sound <laughs> of the scariest thing of all. <laughs> a crow burping. <laughs> Here's a crow drinking a beer. <laughs> um, how the hell are you? How, how, how in the hell are you? Hell the hell am I? I'm just fine. I just watched a little movie called Ganja and Hess. Whoa, By spooky. director Bill Gunn. Oh. You see this one, Bennett? Did, I did. Um, I... This okay. is the second time I've watched it. I still really, truly have no idea what to make of it, and I'd like to, I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like to parse this with you because you're someone who is uh -huh. very skeptical of dreamlike logic being propped up as sort of an explanation for why a movie works the way it does. Um, you're not a David okay. Lynch fan. This movie, at least for the first yeah. 45 minutes in particular, really seems to operate on dreamlike logic, and I'm not criticizing mm -hmm. it. I'm not saying that's a negative, but I do think this is a movie that gets by on being completely inexplicable for for, for, for long <laughs> sequences. Um, this is this is an interesting. This is interesting. I don't think we've seen a movie where there's this um, this divide between us because usually you. I feel like if I like something, you typically like it. Besides. Um, Maybe a few, but, but, or, or at least, uh, like you'll have, you, you usually have more words to say about it, which I'm surprised you don't um, have. Uh, uh, when we ranked the Ron Howard movies, I realized that there are a few that I like a lot more than you, but besides like uh -huh. Ransom, there weren't very many that you liked way more than me. That's true. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's not that I dislike it. I just, I, I, I watch this movie again and I'm like, God, I have no fucking, I, I still, I, I still feel like I've got ten percent of a hold of this movie. I don't know. <laughs> I feel, I feel like I don't know what happened in the plot, but I do have a strong understanding, or not like of what maybe that they were trying to do, but of how it feels. And yeah, well, again, like that's not to say that I dislike it cuz I do like this quite a bit. And oh, no. I no. I'm not saying you're disliking it, but like maybe I, f I I don't feel I don't feel lost at all with it. Like that the being lost part is uh um is maybe a central part of the movie that is something to get by on. Um so in one of my favorite movies ever made, The Squid and the Whale, a character uh -huh. introduces the Franz Kafka story, the metamorphosis, to another character. And uh -huh. she says, I read it. And he says, yeah, very Kafka-esque, right? And she says, well, <laughs> it'd have to be, right? It's written by Franz Kafka. And he kind of dodges the question. Now, this is actually a very Kafka-esque <laughs> movie. It opens with title cards that explain kind of the inciting incident for this entire movie. Uh, Dr. Uh -huh. Hess has been stabbed with some sort of ancient dagger. We don't see this event happen. 
We don't see the research that went into him finding this ancient dagger. We don't see the immediate aftermath. It's exactly like the opening of Franz Kafka's The Metamorphosis. Uh, you know, Gregor Samsa awoke from troubled dreams to find himself vermin. It's, it's a very matter of fact. You are placed <laughs> within a world in which something insane and supernatural has happened. I really appreciated uh -huh. that about this movie the second time around. The way it just forces you to, with no fucking water weenies on, with no, um, <laughs> with, with, with no noodle wrapped around your belts, you are supposed to uh -huh. just kind of tread water successfully within a world in which something supernatural has happened. Right. I, I, I like that too because you end up evading all of the kind of set up stuff that I think what I'm seeing recently makes some horror movies fun and makes others really tedious. Um, this kind of just uh, starts in medias res, as it were, just right in the middle of the action. And uh, you basically don't have... No one is characterized to you through elements of the plot other than people say calling other people doctor and then some assumed relationships of the house this guy lives in um to even describe like the plot is not really to like give you a handle on the movie i mean you get basically everything you need plot wise in those opening title cards you learn that he's right. now addicted to blood and the rest of the movie is him uh -huh. trying to go about his life while dr also drinking blood and stealing blood mm -hmm. and doing what he can. And, uh, you know, his relationship with his his servant and his ex-wife are almost, uh, almost afterthoughts at this point, really. I have, a, I have, a, I have a, a different question for you, totally unrelated. Did... I, I vaguely remember Lauren once telling me um, you you read the book Be Here Now. Never read it in my life. And no. Really? <laughs> no. I, you, not maybe not read it, but you like fanned through that big blue book, the square blue book. Yeah. Well, she put it in my mailbox one time. I remember my mom getting it and being like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> I think I I think I I fanned through it. Yeah. I don't know that I ever really read it. Oh, okay. Well, I I was gonna maybe use that as an as maybe an analog to this, in that uh, I because I remember Lauren saying like, yeah, Ben didn't he didn't respond to it. It wasn't just wasn't for him. Um, from what I remember, again, I remember yeah, looking at it and just being like, yeah, not uh, it's not, it's not making any sense. Where are the crucifixes? Where's uh, I don't know. <laughs> Where is Jesus in there? Where is all Jesus and all of this? Where is the suffering of Christ? Where is... <laughs> yeah. um, well, this had a lot of those touchstones, yes, so I'm surprised you so. didn't at least respond to the Catholicism. Uh, well, again, not to say that I, <laughs> I didn't respond to this movie. It's just, once again, I feel like I just... Right, I, right. I, I feel so ill-equipped to <laughs> try to like really like uh -huh. analyze this movie. And part of that is, of course, because it's obviously a very... It's a movie about black identity and black life and you and i uh we are right, we are right. two white men <laughs> um and i but okay so 
This movie was created by Bill Gunn, a director who has made like two or three films. The others being Personal Problems, which is a two-part, very f- kind of frank, uh, almost documentary type narrative, focusing all these di- on all these different black families. Very good. I still haven't watched um, it. I bought the uh, Kino Blu-ray last year. From what I understand, it's a Cassavetes in. Uh, Cassavetes Ian sort of uh, look at uh, all of these people. It was made for public access television and was aired like mm-hmm. once at like two in the morning and then kind of disappeared <laughs> for a long time. Last year was effectively its first real release uh, playing in theaters and getting that, uh, that, that Blu-ray and DVD release. Um, but uh, c- continue on uh, Bill Gunn. Um, so he... Personal Problems was a big breakthrough for me in, I saw Ganja and Hess uh, around Halloween two years ago at the AFS Cinema in town, and I was totally just blown away, like, found myself thinking, like, the way the people talked and and uh kept like looking for the music in it and was really taken by it. And then I saw personal problems about a year later when that came out and again, just floored me. Um, a lot of the reviews that came out about both of these movies focus heavily on how it's, uh, sort of striking on striking a new identity for the black community and how it's, a metaphor for black liberation and for um basically all the commentary about these movies about is about their blackness and less about the spiritual qualities of the filmmaking and i think of course both of these movies are entirely black cast and i think an entirely black crew at least for personal problems um which is something maybe not seen very often outside of like black exploitation type films of this era, the seventies, early seventies. <laughs> and um, it seemed like reviewers didn't really have words for like the type of movie that this was, which was something that obviously had a lot of heart behind it and a lot of um, religion imbued in it, which I think, Bennett, we've been watching these movies lately that, like Night of the Hunter, that seem to have everybody on set of the same religion, or at least like of the same kind of uh, place in society, and they end up making these films that are very directed in a single, almost spiritual, religious direction, and seem to have uh, a lot of minds that are agreeing behind them in that like the acting and the directing and the way the shots are shot seem to all come from one kind of passionate source. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really, I, I, I said it somewhat flippantly, but I would compare Bill Gunn to John Cassavetes in the sense that without putting too fine a point on it, he seems to hint at this sort of like religious fervor and emotional, uh, excess, if you will, behind so many of the scenes. There's that great scene where 
Hess's ex-wife is kind of almost telling her life story in like a monologue. And she's, she's like the only thing in focus against this like totally black background. Um, as uh-huh. it kind of slowly zooms in on her face. Like he's really, um, I don't know. He, he, he's very, as supernatural as the film gets, he's very tuned into the specific details of, I don't know, everyday life for these characters. And, um, I don't know. I, 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 obviously at the time there weren't a lot of filmmakers doing that for black people in America. Uh, uh-huh. And it's, um, it, it's a good thing that, that Bill Gunn has been rediscovered and that personal problems, uh, is now being widely seen. Uh, Ganja has, Ganja and Hess has, um, though it was, I think largely dismissed upon its release has always been slightly more well-known than personal problems. Uh, it was basically remade by Spike Lee like two years ago um, mm-hmm. as the sweet blood of Jesus, which I've seen and I wanted to rewatch for the episode. I didn't get the chance to, um, I don't know. I, 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 I look forward to, I guess, more discussion of Bill Gunn in the popular uh, film Twitter discourse. I'd like to see what David Ehrlich has to say about Bill Gunn. I think that'll really uh, tie it all together. <laughs> Um, well, he died 86, I think he died quite a while ago. Bill Gunn. Yeah. Fairly young. And he, he never really got, he was a playwright and an actor. He died when he was 54. Born in Philly. Okay. I want to read this article, um, about that Bill Gunn wrote to the editor, which was tucked at the very bottom of uh, May 13th, 1973, New York Times uh, Art and Leisure, or whatever it was called, section. And this is, uh, I think, written directly to us. (laughs) This is called To Be a Black Actor. To the editor. There are times when the white critic must sit down and listen. If he cannot listen and learn, then he must not concern himself with black creativity. A children's story I wrote speaks of a black male child that dreamed of a strong white golden-haired prince who would come and save him from being black. He came, and as time passed, the relationship moved forward. It was discovered that indeed the black child was the prince, and he had saved his friend from being white. That, too, is possible. I have always tried to imagine the producers waiting anxiously for the black reviewer's opinions of The Sound of Music or A Clockwork Orange. I want to say that it is a terrible thing to be a black artist in in this country, for reasons too private to expose to the arrogance of white criticism. One white critic left my film Ganja and Hess after 20 minutes and reviewed the entire film. Another was to see three films in one day and review them all. This is a crime. Three years of three different people's lives graded in one afternoon by a complete stranger, to the artist and to the culture. A.H. Weiler states in his review of Ganja and Hess that a doctor of anthropology killed his assistant and is infected by a blood disease and becomes immortal. But this is not so, Mr. Weiler. The assistant committed suicide. I know that this film does not address you, but in that auditorium you might have heard more than you were able to over the sounds of your own voice. Another critic wondered where, the, where was the race problem. If he looks closely, he will find it in his own review. If I were white, I would probably be called fresh and different. If I were European, Ganja and Hess might be that little film you must see. 
Because I am black, I do not even deserve the pride that one American feels for another when he discovers that a fellow countryman's film has been selected as the only American film to be shown during Critics Week at the Cannes Film Festival, May 1973. Not one white critic from any of the major newspapers even mentioned it. I am very proud of my actors in Ganja and Hess. They worked very hard, with a dedication to their art and race that is obviously foreign to the critics. I want to thank them and my black sisters and brothers who have expressed only gratitude and love for my effort. When I first came into the theater, black women who were actresses were referred to as great gals by white directors and critics. Marlene Clark, one of the most beautiful women and actresses I have ever known, was referred to as a brown-skinned looker in the New York Post. That kind of disrespect could not have been cultivated in 110 minutes. It must have taken at least a good 250 years. Your newspapers and critics must realize they are controlling black theater and film creativity with white criticism. Maybe if the black film craze continues, the white press might find it, might even find it necessary to employ black criticism. But if you can stop the craze in its tracks, maybe that won't be necessary. Bill Gunn, author and director of Ganjan Hess, New York, 1973. Well, he's uh, talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, why? Hey, why don't you just write my first and last name in it, there, Bill? Ooh, um, it's not. I'm not dismissing this movie. I, I, I think it's, I think it's a very, very interesting film. Certainly <laughs> worthy of uh-huh. uh, unpacking. It's more, and obviously, this is like chicken shit bullshit on my part. It, it, it's sort of an abdication mm-hmm. of uh, duty, almost, if we want to be self-aggrandizing about it. My, my feeling is, if I'm unable to to fully uh understand what mm-hmm. it's all about you know what i mean as someone who's never as someone who's never lived the black experience i watch this movie and i find myself saying like this is very good but there's something about it that i can't actually you know mm-hmm. i can't ever actually understand you know what i mean like I- right i mean i think that to me i try to find a place where I can um, uh, experience the movie without having a critical kind of um, dialogue running. I guess I didn't like write notes because I don't, there's nothing to latch on to besides maybe like the quotes that are stated in this movie and maybe the way Bill Gunn talks about like the problem of criticism it's like there he's effectively saying that the entire system you have set up of viewing and making movies is not the one that you should come to this movie with mm-hmm. because he sees this as a completely broken system which is completely valid if a movie like Ganja and Hess and like personal problems are just completely forgotten about until recently. I mean, I don't know if Ganja and Hess was, but personal problems. Um, then maybe what he's doing with his film is also to say, this is something that you're not obviously not prepared for. And that to watch this is to, for the, for the white critic, it seems is to just, watch it and just to listen and i found myself by the end of this movie doing that which is just kind of 
not latching on to anything, but being hit intermittently with these characters saying things that don't really relate to the plot, but is relating to me in a in a way that just speaks to a more spiritual side or a side that is just kind of like plainly affected by words and music. Mm-hmm. And I found that especially at times when music would come in or scenes at the church were in their singing, it didn't really matter that this was a vampire movie. It mattered more that I was being affected by like a musical and visual experience. Word vampire is never said, interestingly enough. Uh, it's, yeah, and I'm sure Bill Gunn would probably dispute maybe the idea that this is even a vampire film at all. I mean, I think the the, yeah. the idea never to say it is probably pretty conscious. Mm-hmm. I I think that like the the conceit of being addicted to blood is a very dire one and one that requires the viewer to understand that this is a really horrible situation to be in and i think that that puts you in a spiritual headspace that allows you to kind of take on the meaning of these words with a closer attention than if it were a movie like personal problems which is about the kind of day-to-day happenings of someone who lives in new york and is black um and that i think is how i was drawn in is that like seeing a guy like when bill bill gunn is the guy that shoots himself in the heart um the guy who kills himself at the beginning his and uh he's hess's uh servant right or butler he's his, uh, he's gonna call him he not his butler he's the uh He's the guy that comes at the beginning to like be to work for him as like a museum assistant. It was, he's the guy that's talking about hanging himself in the one scene. He's sort of yeah, a, yeah. He's uh-huh. sort of a, a, a butler type, right? I mean, he's like working at the house. He's sort of like his assistant. <laughs> I mean, and he 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 gets hired on as his like yeah, I think his curatorial assistant or something for the Brooklyn Museum of Art. I think. So the way this movie was made, which will help us get at it in a different way, is that a production company came to him with $350,000 and was like, hey, you should make a black vampire movie. And he was like, fuck no, I'm never going to fucking do that. And then uh, he realized that he was going to have full creative control because the producers of the movie had absolutely no idea how to make a movie. And so the result is something that was just completely his own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I believe based on the cast of personal problems, a lot of these people were his friends like Sam Whalen, who is the guy that does all the music for this. And is also the, the minister at the end in the church. And he shows up throughout the movie. He's also, he, he, or he ordains their marriage or he, a uh, fucking, whatever it's called. He's the minister for them getting married. Um, so it seems like he was using the, the conceit of vampirism based on like money constraints and, you know, being able to make a movie in order to get at this different idea of spirituality. And these are just things that I picked up is, is like a, a, a deep, spirituality that is kind of life or death for you 
um, being in love with another person that you're kind of like inextricably attached to, uh, being moved by music and life or death situations and not being able to reach out to like other people with a solution or ask and ask for help, like being kind of trapped, I guess. Uh, yeah. I mean, from my understanding, the studio was looking for a black exploitation take on Dracula. They were looking for Blackula effectively uh-huh. and they got <laughs> this, which you and I would both agree mm-hmm. is not that uh, it's a it's- pretty, it's a it's a intellectual movie it's a movie that really kind of does not do its viewers any favors when it comes to uh the way it plays with the vampire narrative tropes um apparently it was recut and released as a movie called blood couple Mm -hmm. that was a more straightforward Mm -hmm. uh here are two vampires sort of a movie i mean i guess there are the bones uh to be kind of reassembled into that sort of a movie here um i I love the way this movie looks. Uh, it's shot on mm-hmm. film. It's so it, it's like visibly cheap. There's a uh, there's mm-hmm. such a tactile quality to the film that this movie is shot on. Uh, so many of those like little imperfections. It's it, 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 it's an effective case study for why movies can be shot on film. It should be shot on film. Uh, I I've only mm-hmm. seen the trailer for the Sweet Blood of Jesus, uh, Spike Lee's remake uh-huh. of this movie, but. Put those two side by side, and you have a very good argument for why you should shoot things on film versus shooting things on digital. You have, on one yeah. hand, this very warm, tactile, sensual, I don't know, it makes you think of blood, it makes you think of skin, and then you have this gross, cold, uh, sort of mm-hmm. emotionless. Well, I, I would also say an interesting kind of analog to that is personal problems being shot on really shitty digital film but also having a really warm Mm -hmm. almost i feel like you respond to it it's almost like in dr cats when they have all those like cheap weird uh sound like bad microphone voices yeah so i haven't seen personal problems but i was listening to the uh, important cinema club episode about bill gunn and they described it because apparently personal problems is one of the first movies ever shot on uh, on video uh, shot onto like yeah. VHSs, and they've described it as having like a, a ghostly quality almost. Um, well, if you check out my article on the AFS website uh, called "Bill Gunn's Holy Grail of Film: Personal Problems," presented in two parts, I talk a little bit about the uh, the format. It's uh, it's called like U-matic videotape. It was used three quarter inch U-matic videotape, which was used spe- like solely for newscasts. Uh-huh. So, wow, if it's good enough for David Muir, it's good enough for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, I would say that I I was thinking about this as like an art film and what what my visions of art film are and what I could maybe compare this to. And it did visually remind me of um, like a movie like uh like good some of godard's stuff like contempt or something in that it's kind of all over the place visually and stylistically but i feel like the difference between this is that this has something spiritual to say that is conveyed pretty clearly and it's not 
I don't think it's confusing in its intention um, in that it seems to be trying to affect a viewer with a really deep sense of, or just trying to like initiate this, uh, this viewing state in a viewer that is a, a, a deeper level of consideration just for maybe like a horror movie or just any, any film it's, it's, it's going beyond plot and even beyond like the conventions of acting and even beyond conventions of having a conversation in order to just hit you with like dialogue that you'll hear dialogue. That's just one side of a conversation and then no one will respond. <laughs> and so you just get the effect of hearing those words said and they'll say things like uh, the only perversions that we can comfortably criticize are the perversions of others. And you're, you're just left with that quote. And that is something on its own that you have to deal with. I I think all the writing in this feels like it's probably, I, I know some parts are quoting the Bible, but a lot of it does feel written from the same mood of the bible of like this is life or death and these are the things that i'm gonna say before i have to die it it really felt to me like you come to this like you're coming to a church or a place of worship or something it's uh yeah the sequences set within churches are really especially affecting i think um one sequence that stuck out to me is it's right before bill gunn's character commit suicide uh he is taking a bath and he dips his toothbrush into his bath water before putting it back in his mouth now i find bathing really revolting in general dipping my uh-huh. toothbrush into it oy, oy. i wouldn't dip a cone into my bath water good god Ugh. uh-huh yeah, he he really had some reckless abandon there. There's a similarly uh, what would be strange in real life, but is really beautiful in this movie is when the there's a sex scene and the guy just has his foot in the woman's face and his foot is covering uh, about half of her face and there's nothing nothing she's not repulsed by it and it's not it doesn't look like it's a bat like. <laughs> It just looks nice to see like a human foot by a human face, and he just kind of captures that. It's like, oh mm-hmm. wow, did not, never considered that. Uh-huh. And I think a lot of the shots follow a sort of like every shot seems to be, it seems almost like an accident in that you'll just find yourself in this extremely beautiful position that that is shot in a way that you don't see in a movie, like every all the action is occurring in the bottom right corner of the screen, but not in a way that's like framed their, their bodies are kind of cut off or people will be talking and a lot of their face will be cut off. There's an amazing scene where music is playing and the, the lead woman is screaming and it's only half of her face mm-hmm. and uh, it's just wonderful. It's incredible. I'd never seen anything like it. There's that great scene where he goes out to the yard and Bill Gunn's character, his sort of assistant, is up in a tree and he's about to kill himself. And it's mm-hmm. you see a noose, you see Hess, and you see the bottom half of Bill Gunn's body. You never see his head. He's talking from off screen this whole sequence. And that was when I restarted the movie because th- that scene is so disorienting. 
Oh <laughs> not God. seeing someone if who's talking miss... to you. <laughs> I seen it's all about this character and you don't see where they're coming uh, from. I had to like, I, I had to restart the entire movie. I was like, I, it's where the, it's where for me that the sort of dreamlike logic of it all really kind of reached ahead. Sequences like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He doesn't it give doesn't, you any. It doesn't, you, this guy is, comes out of nowhere and is saying, you know, I feel like I'm a murderer and I'm a victim. And sometimes the murderer, it's like a game of cat and mouse. Then the cat and the, the, the mouse gets away. Sometimes I felt like I was a murderer letting myself go and I didn't commit suicide. And you know, nothing about this guy, nothing about his relationship to this person, nothing about his past trying to kill himself, him being nuts. Like you just are just faced with that. And it's like, okay. And, and the conversation, that conversation is met with no urgency. Uh-huh. The, the, he's telling this to the the main character, and it's like he's telling him what he had for breakfast. And so, I I feel like that is kind of like a a biblical quality to me because sh- you sh- you read this shit in the Bible and no one seems to be that fucked up uh-huh. over any of it. It's uh-huh. just events that are happening right. in order to get you into this state of uh, spiritual events. And so, like when he's talking, when there's that noose hanging and. He's sitting in the tree, wagging his feet like a child. And he's just like, give me my drink. And then he just starts screaming at him, like, what'd you put in my drink? He's like, there were dead ants in your drink. And it's like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? It I, it was similarly for me at that point when I was like, okay, I have to, I have to reorient myself here and completely forget that or, or try to hang on to... because. During watching it, you eventually will feel at some point like, the fuck is going on again? Yeah, I mean, it's it's to your point. It's like, it is, it, it's all of this. And I think those opening title cards do this more effectively than anything. It, it is truly a Kafkaesque movie in the sense that something bananas is happening. It's just accepted at face value. It is, it's like in the Bible. It's Job's neighbor didn't look over and go, oh, this fucking guy. You know what I mean? Like, everyone took all of this shit happening. <laughs> you killed like, your oh. son! <laughs> yeah, no, God didn't come down and go, hey, that's a yikes for me, buddy. Um, this is all, <laughs> all of that is accepted as just, yeah, face value. This is just, this is just mm-hmm. what happens. And yeah, uh, <laughs> Bill Gunn puts you into a world where these biblical events and these biblical emotions, and I think that's why he uses the church so often to kind of orient us within the world. We're seeing this very impassioned preacher sort of give us almost the uh the sort of the 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 color for this world that we're living in he's sort of filling mm-hmm. in the details he's, he's he's letting us know what exactly it is that we're you know experiencing he the 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 i mean i think something about church as well is that we're we're we come into the church scenes and music is just playing and people are gesticulating and saying things that don't necessarily have like a narrative quality to them or seem to be telling a story, but are just um, an expression. But you immediately understand they're in church, they're having an experience and everyone is sharing in that. And this isn't something that I have to figure out. Um, And then he'll, I feel like that's a way of going into this, not to use the cliche of going to the movies for me is like going to church, Uh but it, it, it is. can have a similar it quality is. in that you, <laughs> you, I, 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 okay. I, when I was watching this, I realized that you can come to certain experiences in your life. Like 
you can walk through the woods a hundred times, but sometimes you walk through the woods and you're like, uh-huh. you get chills and, or you look at a fucking toadstool and you're like, Oh my God. Sometimes you're hobbling I... around five mile woods, looking to smoke mids. And sometimes you're actually uh-huh. looking for a kind of the Rubian experience. Yeah. Sorry. And sometimes you're walk, hobbling around five mile woods looking to smoke mids, and sometimes you're hobbling around <laughs> five mile woods looking to smoke mids. <laughs> Air quotes I run everywhere. Everything <laughs> underlined and highlighted. I felt that he he want like okay. Uh, to bring it back to the Three Stooges Ming vase, you you bring all this attention to the Ming vase, and it's like, ah, oh, the Ming vase. And then they fucking break it. But, okay, forget the breaking it part. Just think of the... It's like when someone when you're in class and your professor or teacher is like, okay, I'm going to show you this thing. This is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. I need you guys to be really considerate. Please don't laugh. It's like, this is the the greatest thing of all of mankind. And he shows it to you, and you come in with this sort of, like, really harrowed, like... It's like being in a museum and getting chills. You're in the right position to to take on a work of art or something in this way where you have a little more focus. It's a little more, almost like the your peripheral is a little more blurry. You're not really bringing into the outside world too much. You're like, I'm going to just without context go into the as like film critic people we bring so much fucking baggage to every movie that it's rare that you're able to just kind of like really vibe with something and i and i think that a, a lot of the feelings i was getting during this was like i'm getting that feeling i like i i'm 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 feeling this vibration and it was enhanced by the music in this being and the shots of church being layered in a way that like two songs will be playing at once and you think we're transitioning to another song, but then the song that we're transitioning to fades out, and then the pr- song previously will start playing, or that African uh, drum music will start playing at certain points, mm-hmm. and then images of like an African tribe in in costumes or something in feathers comes up and is like half transparent, kind of half superimposed over the images. Yeah, it gives the image that we see a a a kind of layer of context or something deeper that's going in either in the minds of the character or that he just wants us to consider at the same time of that like okay we have this scene here and then we have like a layer of music and even that music is kind of unclear it's not for you to really grasp it's just you're you're given multiple experiential devices to uh, the effect on me was to just kind of like get me out of trying to point things out and more just uh, experience it in a different way. And it's a it's a window into the history behind both the characters' actions and Bill Gunn's choices as a filmmaker, right? Those that sort mm-hmm. of that that the, the chanting, the sort of tribal music that comes in kind of intermittently, is often really meant to almost unmoor us from the more run-of-the-mill interactions we're having. It's often during kind of two pretty bare-bones conversations we'll have that kind of as bed music almost reminding us of this Mm -hmm. historical and 
in, in this movie, supernatural sort of undertone uh, of everything. I mean, I, yeah. I, I really enjoy the movie. I just, I, I find myself at a loss for trying to talk about it intelligent. It's, it's, it's so, mm-hmm. it's so singular. There really is not much like it. It's insane to me that there was a shot for shot remake made of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I am reminded of reading uh, the book of poetry, Wade in the Water by Tracy K. Smith, in that she kind of will ground the reader in basically what is hundreds of years of oppression to black people. And um, you, she has a great poem where she takes the, I think it's the Declaration of Independence and blacks out words of it and makes a poem out of that, which gets this idea of a cross of that everything that is now for black people is has the context of extreme and violent corruption in the past Mm -hmm. against that their people and like i feel like an idiot for only being able to consider this after seeing these works of black artists that like maybe what bill gunn is getting at in this movie of someone experiencing something now but always always with a conceit or always with always with something in their mind that says like but i'm a vampire but i have this curse from 250 years ago but i want to i want to be with you but i have to live forever cuz i'm a vampire it's like he's giving us an experience of living this life kind of carefree and then the opposite of it, which is living a life that is extremely full of baggage and uh, basically has a central conceit that you can never really be free or happy. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I don't know, but I think that that is an, a factor of Bill Gunn's black experience and of Tracy K. Smith's black experience is that, yes, I can be a poet or I can be a filmmaker now, specifically with his article in the New York Times. It's saying like, yeah, I can make a movie, but you're still going to call me the black artist or you're going to say this is this is my cute black film that's a black exploitation experimental thing. And, and even when I'm trying to do something that doesn't relate to that, perhaps, it just gets couched in that. And so... His, I think his movie Ganja and Hess is like uh, takes into account that 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 kind of way of being trapped by all the language that pervades art and art criticism. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I think that's a very good point. Yeah, you have to imagine Bill Gunn wrestled, and obviously in something like what he wrote for the New York Times, he's wrestling there with the idea of being an artist and not a capital B black capital a artist um, uh-huh. you know just, uh, just being accepted on his own terms um i um I, I liked the scene where he uh sets something on fire outside of the drugstore and then goes in to steal a bunch of blood bags outside of the oh no it's outside of a blood bank oh that i like these, so good these sort of heist like sequences we get it was almost like anton sugar remember in no country for old men when <laughs> anton sugar blows up the car so we can go into the drugstore and steal a bunch of like vicodin um yeah it's a it's a sequence a sequence that's been copied a lot i mean maybe this is its first yeah. iteration um 
It was really uh, just nonchalant. He just kind of like lights something on fire, creates a little firework. All the doctors come running, and then he just lifts like ten bags of blood from the doctor. He's like, "Later." Great, great sequence and that's of him walking out. With his awesome back. music is playing. Uh, I earlier called S- Sam. I called him Sam Whalen. His name is Sam Wayman, and he's the guy that made all the music for this. He is Nina Simone's brother. And he, uh, he's in personal he, problems. He is in personal problems and he's fantastic. He does the music for the trailer of personal problems. That's like, hope you never say goodbye. Hope you never say goodbye. I hope you always say hello. I hope this day will never. hope you always say hello and that's just incredible i actually just ordered the vinyl of him singing that because you cannot find that fucking song anywhere but he is really talented also just wonderful actor um i like that bit too when he's licking the blood off the ground it was copied in guillermo del toro's uh chronos have you ever seen chronos uh-huh um I have not. This is, I mean, it's it's a movie that I'm obviously going to return to quite a bit because it's it's hypnotizing. It almost it, it almost like infects you. It gets you into its uh, once you're into its unusual rhythm, which takes like 25 minutes. Once you're uh-huh. on Ganja and has his wavelength, you are you're right there in the church with them. You know what I mean? Like you're 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 ready uh-huh. to you're ready to sing along. Oh, a hundred percent. I was like, God, I. I if only I had something that, like, if only, I, we've said this before, we got all the shitty ass parts of Catholicism. Being and none of the fucking, yeah, none of the good shit that makes you fucking love God. None of the fucking spiritual heights. Basically, we were told, like, oh, yeah, uh, other people experience, uh, I don't know, religious ecstasy. And we just sing shitty fucking songs that we sing every time but by these by these children who suck at singing and uh and then you stand there and it's a pain in the ass and you have to do it for an hour and a half mm-hmm. and, and then, then you, you gotta you go to confession <laughs> and then you get this and little you gotta wafer. go to confession and feel and lie in confession <laughs> and not talk about how you beat off <laughs> right yeah and and think that go, go going to beat up beating off means going to hell it's like it seems like in the church, in Bill Gunn's church, which was oh, I forget the name of it. It was like the Evangeline R- Revive Life Church or something. I think it's in Nyack. It's I think this was all filmed in upstate New York. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, just just that the the. I don't know. The church just seems so wonderful. Such a good place to be. You could sing. You could yell out. You could dance in the in the dang fucking hallway. I mean, maybe just white people are so comfortable and their lives are just so like without issue that uh-huh. to express anything above like just amusement is to be a fanatic. Because like, what do you have to fucking celebrate? 
Well, and also you have everything. Yeah, and also going to church where it is for other people an opportunity to 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 celebrate and have this kind of communal wonderful experience. For us, it's sort of punitive. Like we go to church not because we oh. enjoy the experience; it's because we have to. Because I'm right. so I'm so privileged the other six days of the week, so I need this one day where <laughs> you know, like where I'm just forced to do something because at no point in my life do I have to apologize. Uh-huh. It's 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 a purely punitive, purely uh, just <laughs> oh, fuck. Fifty two minutes I mean, left. I, God damn it! Right, the like the way my dad. I said this in the last one. The way my dad would stay in the pew until the last song was over. It was like a a punishment not only to himself for his probably countless sins. It's a punishment to all of us because he knows we're all pains in the asses. And he's like, no, you're gonna <laughs> no, stay no. because. You God knows you're sinning, and uh, I'm just gonna force you to do this Be- because, yeah, we're not doing this for for anything inside. No if, sense of community. If I die, <laughs> and I gotta go to hell. <laughs> I don't want it to be because I didn't go to church this week. All right, <laughs> now get in the fucking car. <laughs> it's gonna be because I beat one of your asses, not because I uh, stayed at church long. Enough. Didn't stay at church. Long it's enough. gonna be because me and your mother are getting a fucking divorce. All right. <laughs> Yes, this is how you learn. <laughs> all three kids crying. Honestly, yeah, is it my uh, fault? Yes. No, it's not your yes, fault. Yes, it's your fault. It's your fault. <laughs> the no, two not kids her. You, you. you. It's your boy. fault. Boy, boy it's your fault. Your <laughs> Great. Uh, uh, quoting um, Bill Hicks. Uh, Does my penis make me a bad boy? The answer is yes. <laughs> oh, man. It's a wild movie. It really doesn't it have such a wonderful look. Like, isn't it as as harrowing as oh all of the God, happenings yes. on screen are? Isn't it like just such a warm? Like, don't you, don't you just want to live in it? Let's bring back yeah, film. When, like, <laughs> when even when the shot when Bill Gunn shoots himself in the chest is like, whoa, Ooh. that's like a cr- just crazy. He's a, he has like a makeshift cross behind him. The cross at the end with the shadow and all the dramatic lighting and him dying. Him walking through church, smiling after getting like blessed at the front of the altar. It's like, oh my god. That's an amazing that sequence. Feeling. That look in his face. Yeah. Oh my god. Another movie that actually yeah, puts you smiling. in a moment of like religious ecstasy, but also obviously by, by virtue of its exploration of vampirism of a sword is placing you in that the depths of depravity. I mean, really, ooh, cool. Yeah. Mm, what the and, fucking bad. Yeah, how do you get to a h- higher high and, unless uh, grounded by such a dark darkness? Mm-hmm. And all the blood, like them drinking blood and laying down, it's just like so, mm-hmm. and like white sheets covered in blood. <sighs> or them, like, and also them eating like just beautiful lunches outside in this like insane house. And like getting married on the green. It's like there's so many shots that are also just not, doesn't seem to be about like being a vampire. He like falls in love with the girl at the beginning and they seem so happy and they get married like instantly. And it's like, oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. There's also just like a certain degree to which this is sort of um, people hanging out. I don't know. They're, they're, there's not a lot of, <laughs> I mean, we've talked a little bit about there's not much narrative thrust to the movie. I mean, when when Hess himself is not drinking blood or trying to connive how to drink blood, it is kind of him hanging around with uh, his estranged <laughs> wife, who he remarries, Clark. or uh, Bill Gunn's character. Well, Marlene Clark was married to the Bill Gunn character who died. 
She's and then his estranged wife, and then they get married. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, but Marlene Clark was so good as the like psychotic lady at the beginning, who's just like. But then you kind of so she's really rude to the to uh, Mar- I forget what the what the what the butler's name is, but she's really rude to him. And she's kind of a pain in the ass. And then she has this monologue later She's where she talks about, like, just having a tough-ass fucking life and then being like, I learned, like, I only do shit for ganja now. And it's like, damn, like, I do not blame you for being a pain in the ass because you are just, like, Against, doing like, your thing. Against, like, that all-black background, you can, like, only see her face. It's yeah. really unbelievable. It goes on for, like, mm-hmm. five minutes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that for me, like I, whew, whew, supposed to supposed to give my attention to a screen for more than four and a half minutes? Good lord. Um, <laughs> you know me, I've got a famously short attention span. Uh George is the name of Bill Gunn's character. Long... I got a short attention span and a long list of grievances, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> and there ain't no way I'm telling him to the to the priest at, at confession. Uh, long list of sins, and I'm not confessing them. We've talked about this before, but let's let's relitigate it. How honest? How yeah. honest were you during confession? Like, did you ever admit to a priest that you masturbated? Because I certainly didn't. Let me <laughs> let me tell you the the beginning to the end. I would go to we'd go to confession as a class in the attached church, and it was maybe once every three months or so. Um, and then and it was fucking scary to go because you sit in a chapel there's about 30 students in your class and you wait in line and you all go in and then you come out and you and you get penance and your penance is how many prayers you have to say for what you did you sit there the entire time thinking of what the fuck it is you're going to say because you know you're not going to tell them that you looked at um uh, exploited ebony brown and brown yeah uh, yeah porn because you know that's what you're doing I that's what I was frequently doing. And so you think of that the whole time and you think, okay, what is the bullshit that I'm actually going to say to avoid having to say that I'm masturbating? Because if I say that, he's going to come around to the screen and be like, what the fuck is wrong with you, son? And start anybody that <laughs> Anybody that was that age and was actually admitting to masturbating was godly i i wish i could have been on that i don't think it's ever happened has it ever happened has anyone ever sat in that confessional and said the act of contrition and then been honest with the priest actually been like yes here's exactly okay so in the three months since my last confession i masturbated 11 times (laughs) like 11 times um i so i i went in i remember saying uh, i lied to my mom and and this came out out of I do not this is a com, I'm going to tell you the whole st- the whole lie that I told and it does <laughs> it comes out of no fact anywhere to be heard of I said yeah so uh, also my um I my brother and I were running around the trampoline and it was snowing outside and I threw a snowball and it hit him and then he fell and he hurt his head really bad and the priest was like well did you uh did you mean to hurt him and I was like, no, not really. Well, did you, like, knock him to the ground on purpose? No, not really. Okay, well, you, you don't have to worry too much about that. And then he's like, okay, you're good. And I was like, and then you leave with even worse feelings than you went in with because you just lied to <laughs> a, priest lie to a priest and you're just deeper into hell. Yeah. 
It's like, okay, I'm, I'm still jacking off. I'm going to, I remember crying in my, I've told this before. I'll tell it again. I remember crying in my kitchen to my mom saying, I think I'm, my mom's like, what the fuck is wrong? Like, what, what's going on? And I'm like, I think I'm going to go to hell. Like, I'm really worried. And she's like, it's fine. Like, it's really hard to get into hell. There's nothing you could do to like, to like get into hell. And I was like, she has no idea. <laughs> I've murdered six people. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, I masturbated. And that to me was like the darkest, most dark, 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 bad, like equal to murder. It is in the eyes of the Catholic church. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Hey, hey! At least you can't get an abortion because that would truly send you to hell. Oh, yeah, that would. Good thing. Whew, dodge a bullet there. Anyway, what what would you say? What was your experience going to confession? Because I know you were a public school head. Yeah, um, at St. Ignatius, I mean, I just remember before getting our confirmation. This is sixth grade, and I think I've related this. It's it's a bunch of like eleven year old kids all waiting to go to confession, and you can see a line of a hundred people going. Oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. We're all like, all of us are like, do I, do I be honest about how much I like to, you know, fucking urethral sound? I mean, what? Yes, I, yes, I prostate <laughs> massage. Can I tell a priest that? Um, I no, I was. my asshole in the mirror. I think I, I, I think I went to confession like three times. And yeah, I mean, much like you, I would, just, I would make shit up and be like, uh, I talk back to my parents, I guess, when like. I don't know. Right. Besides putting stuff up my ass, I was the most well-behaved kid on the planet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can't win them all. No, you absolutely cannot. I um, did not realize the lead in this movie, Dwayne Jones, is also the lead in Night of the Living Dead. Wow. Um, two of the great... Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that guy's fucking awesome. He's spectacular in Night of the Living Dead. Um, wow. Uh, shout out to Dwayne Jones, the late Dwayne, late of this church, Dwayne Jones. Um, <laughs> um, I have to say, check out uh, Personal Problems, and definitely check out this movie. It's I think Bill Gunn is just a genius, a genius filmmaker. Um, I I mean, okay, I don't want to throw around the word genius, but he is, I would say, just up there with my top five favorite directors who are they give me your five <laughs> um i would say john cassavetes robert brisson bill gunn are three off the top of my head i would say kelly reichert john cassavetes terrence davies <laughs> if i had to name three at the top of my head <laughs> all right well wonderful um uh bennett nice wholesome episode with you today i feel like uh you know we we got we we choked up on the back, got up to the altar, and cracked the priest upside down. <laughs> you know what? On this episode, we're walking into that confessional. That I'm kneeling down. I'm saying the act of contrition. Oh, my God. I am heartfully sorry for having offended thee. And I, I detest you. all of my sins. I detest all my sins. Because, because of your of just, just punishment. punishment. But most of all, because they offend thee. Because they offend you. <laughs> my no, God. Say thee. And I thee. repent. Ah, uh, fuck. <laughs> all, my, all these sins. Sins. Uh, because, um, I do not remember how it ends. <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, hallowed be thy name. You off. <laughs> and please um, don't tell my mom. All right. Uh, I, I would like to give a shout out to all the uh, white Catholics out there. Uh, reconsider. Rough. You've had um, it rough. No one has but, had it worse than us white, vaguely ethnic Catholics. <laughs> 
Um, no one's had it better. No one's had it worse. I uh, sincerely implore our generation to just give it up. Give up the Catholic thing. Figure something else out. Get into Kabbalah. Don't make your kids go to church. Yeah, I really... Or at least our, <laughs> the church that we went to. Because when you see what church can be, it's really, really dark considering uh, what it was. The, the alternative, though, I don't know. I got a mailer in my... I, I Fuck, I should have saved it. It was literally called something like Cool Church. I'm not kidding. It was called like Lit Church. Uh, it's one of these like... Uh, these one of these like... I don't know. I, I don't know how else to describe it besides Lit Church. <laughs> oh my god. As paid for by the uh, Jeffrey Pete Epstein Buttigieg Foundation. Foundation. Oh my god. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a nice, wonderful uh, time sitting with you here. Our uh it's like we're all close friends and we're all just sitting around the um the hearth the hearth yeah hell yeah is it hearth or hearth never knew um listen to uh <laughs> listen to the rest of our episodes uh not only our spooky scary <laughs> episodes but also our our look at the filmographies <laughs> of Sofia Coppola, John Favreau, Mel Gibson and others um uh, uh-huh. you can also read our writing at splittoothmedia.com. That's right. You can check out all of our October horror episodes on splittoothmedia.com on the in the podcast section and uh, on patreon.com slash realrap. Also, you can see all of our backlog on soundcloud.com slash realrap. You can also drop us a voicemail. I beg of you to leave a voicemail. Uh, if you're out there, leave us a message at... 410-694-7228 Bye bye <laughs> Peace